We are continuing through in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 3. So if you need to, you can grab a Bible on the resource table. I've also got some sermon uh, notes, some handouts out there if you want to grab one of those as well. Uh, And that'll kind of walk you through some of the stuff that you're going to see up on the slides. Um, I want to start by pointing something out. This is something that I'm fascinated by, but it's the fact that Uh, The book of Acts is actually a lot like the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And you might be thinking, what in the world, how are those analogous to one another? Um, The book of Joshua in the Old Testament is, it's the establishment of a physical geopolitical kingdom in the promised land through military conquest, through conquering uh, the enemies of God, the Canaanites in the land who stood against God and his people, And that's how the kingdom was established in the book of Joshua, okay? Through military conquest. But the church, analogously in some sense, is engaged in not physical combat, physical warfare, but spiritual warfare. And we are conquering the hearts of unbelievers with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's that's how my heart was conquered. That's how I went from being in the enemy camp, an enemy of God, to being a friend of God, to being at peace with God. And so what we're doing is we're going out throughout the world and we're conquering the hearts of unbelievers with the good news of the gospel so that we can all have peace with God. If I share the gospel with someone, it's because I want them to have the peace with God that I have through Christ. I want to have peace with them, peace with God everlasting. And so that we can all become fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We are establishing a kingdom in the book of Acts and throughout the last 20 centuries of the church. In the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, we've seen Jerusalem, up until this point, functioning as, uh, in, in the military, would be called a main operating base. So we've seen Jerusalem as kind of the main hub for all the activity elsewhere, okay? People went out from Jerusalem up until this point in the first 12 chapters. And that was really for the spread of the gospel initially, not just in Jerusalem, but what? In all Judea? Remember in Acts 1.8? All Samaria? and even to the ends of the earth. So we we see this beginning with Jerusalem as a base, and we even see the gospel through persecution going out to primarily Gentile regions like Phoenicia, further up the coastline, or Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean, or even Antioch, even further up the coastline. And now we're going to see how that, that establishment of that church in Antioch from Jerusalem, Antioch is now going to become what again in military terms is called a forward operating base, an FOB or a FOB. And it's the idea that even though the apostles and other leaders of the church are still in Jerusalem, we now have a secondary base of operations for the mission work of the church. And that's really the, the, the spotlight falls on the church at Antioch for that very reason for the rest of Acts. It becomes a sending church uh, to send Christian missionaries out to the ends of the earth. And as we're talking about military terminology, I don't do this all the time, but I did come to faith in Christ in a men's ministry. And if you've ever been to a men's Bible study, there's nothing but military analogies. But I think I'm on good grounds because Paul uses some military analogies too. And we've got this connection with the book of Joshua. But I want to stick with this military terminology. And I want to think of today's passage, which is really short, in terms of two types of military orders. 
I want, to, I want to talk about general standing orders, and I want to talk about special orders. So I want to give you guys a little bit of uh, context for this, because this is going to be important to unpacking this passage, the difference between those two things, standing orders and special orders. So I went on to dictionary.com, and I, and I have not been in the military personally. Some of you have, and you've been to basic training, and you know what orders are. Um, but I hope I'm correct in this. Dictionary.com says a standing order is a general order always in force in a command and establishing uniform procedures for it. That is standard operating procedure. So in other words, standing orders are necessarily general. They apply to everybody. They're somewhat vague because they're covering situations that may happen in the future that you won't know all the details about. And they're ongoing. They're, they're, um, they're going on for perpetuity. Uh, so that everyone knows what to do at any given time. If you're going to stand a post, if you're going to be a sentry or guard duty, you know exactly what to do. Whether you're this guy or that guy or this girl or that girl, everyone knows what they're doing. That's a standing order. Now, on the other hand, special orders are instructions from a headquarters affecting the activity or status of an individual or group of individuals. So, in other words, special orders in military contexts are specific to certain individuals, and they do not apply to everyone all the time like standing orders. Do you see the difference there? The general standing orders apply to everyone, they're ongoing, and then the specific special orders are for a group, an individual or a group of individuals. As Christians, and I don't think I have to convince you of this, but if you've been in Christ for any time at all, you will come to a season where you wrestle with your purpose. And that's because we still wrestle with the sin nature and we still live in a fallen world. And sometimes we really wrestle with what is my purpose as a Christian, as a Christ follower? We ask questions in, in the context of what I'm talking about here. Of what are our standing orders? What, what do we need to be doing as followers of Christ? And do we have any special orders? Do, do I or does my family or, or does the group of waysiders living in this neighborhood, do we have special orders from the Lord? Is there something unique that God has for us to do as individuals or groups of individuals? And I really think today's passage helps us make sense of all of this. It helps us make sense of how to understand our standing orders as Christians, as well as how to receive and respond to any special orders from the Holy Spirit. The big idea for today is that every Christian receives orders from Christ, which means that we must understand those orders in order to obey them. Every Christian receives orders, whether standing or special, both, really. And so we need to understand what those orders are. What's the nature of those orders so that we can obey them? And I mentioned this earlier, but today's passage can be considered in terms of these two types of orders in a military context, the standing orders and the special orders. So that's how I'm going to divide out our time today. So first of all, the church has already received standing orders that apply to all Christians everywhere all the time. We already have our marching orders, so to speak, these general standing orders. And this is what we call the Great Commission. And I think it's uh, probably presented the best in Scripture in Matthew's account that he includes at the very end of his gospel. And you've probably heard it before if you've been around the church, but this is his Great Commission passage. And this is what Matthew writes as one who was there. He says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came near and said to them, that is his uh, disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, or some of your translations will say obey, same difference here, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So no matter who we are, or where we are, or when we are, I'll throw that in there too, if we are followers of Christ, then our obedience to Christ requires participation at some level in making disciples of all nations. And I think we err on either side of this. Either we say, oh, that's for someone else, that's for the professional minister people, right? They're the ones that are fulfilling the Great Commission or foreign missionaries or whoever it is, right? It's those people over there that are doing that. Right? Or we do the opposite and we put the whole burden of the Great Commission fulfillment on our own shoulders as individuals because we're good Americans. <laughs> we're, we're big on individuality and autonomy and we, we try and we read that as though he's speaking to you as an individual and you have to somehow accomplish all this yourself. But I think we're going to have a much healthier view of this as we go forward. But it can't be just ind- individually on your shoulders and it can't be something that you abdicate to someone else, Okay. In the book of Acts, the church at Antioch was founded by Jewish Christians who left Jerusalem and they began doing what? Some of them were just talking to fellow Jews, uh, Hellenistic Jews living in some of these far-flung places. But some of them began sharing the gospel with Gentiles and baptizing these new believers. And we saw this back in Acts 11. Just to recap, Acts 11, 19, 21. It said, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way, and I said this earlier, to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, and to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well. These are the non-Jewish people. Preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, we also see the church at Antioch. So are these people that went to Antioch, are they obeying the the standing orders they have from the Lord? Yes. But there's another aspect of Matthew's uh, presentation of the Great Commission. It's not just going and baptizing, right? It's also teaching to obey. So do we see the church at Antioch being obedient in that sense? Absolutely. They are teaching Christians to obey everything Christ commanded. And folks, this means more... When you hear teaching, I know we think like mental, cerebral, academic. This means so much more than simply conveying information, but it certainly does not mean less than that, all right? This is a a much uh, more in-depth, full-life process. In Acts, uh, we see different aspects of how the Antioch Christians were being taught to obey. So again, it wasn't just handing out pamphlets of information. So what was going on in Antioch where we see these people being taught to obey? Well, we see prophets and teachers there in Antioch that are ministering to these new believers in Antioch, in the church. We see prophets, we see teachers, we see other church leaders who are doing what? Encouraging. Remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement? They're encouraging to persevere in their faith. They're equipping them. They're teaching them. They're promoting fellowship within the church, which includes the sharing of material goods and wealth with one another in the church, both locally and throughout the church global. They're doing all these things. They're encouraging in all these ways. And just think about these passages from earlier in Acts in chapter 11. We saw this the other day. 
It talks about when Barnabas gets sent up to Antioch to see what's going on, and he sees the grace of the Lord. And it says, when he, Barnabas, arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged. What does the son of encouragement do? He encourages. He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Hang in there, guys. Hang in there. You can trust in Christ. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Saul. He knew, oh, there's Saul. I remember Saul from 10 years ago or whenever it was. I'm going to go get him. He's a great teacher. So he went to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, they met with the church. That is, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught large numbers. Again, they're not just spouting off information to memorize. They're helping those Christians in Antioch, in the church, actually live in accordance with Christ's will. And then it says this, uh, Agabus, a prophet, comes and says, guys, there's going to be this famine, and it it actually historically happened. There's four, actually, back to back to back to back in the reign of Claudius. But he goes in as a prophet, and he gets a word from the Lord that this is going to happen in the future. And so what do they do as a result? The leaders in the church there encourage them to set aside funds, as Paul did elsewhere in his letters, he talks about this, to set aside funds for the believers, the brothers and sisters in Christ back in Judea, who are going to feel the full brunt of that famine and who are going to be poverty stricken and without food. And so what do they do in verse 29? Each of the disciples there in Antioch, according to his or her ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. Guys, that is fellowship. I know we think of like fellowship halls and and coffee and donuts, but like fellowship in the New Testament includes this aspect of sharing both material and spiritual things, but certainly material things, okay? So they're engaging in church fellowship. And then in Luke chapter 13, our passage today, Luke includes the names of five men who were following these standing orders to teach and to equip and to encourage the church. Uh, Look at 13 verse 1. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. I don't know which one was a prophet, which one was a teacher, which ones were both. But there were prophets and teachers, and we get these five names. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Super interesting list of names here. So Luke gives us just enough information. He's a master historian, and he's inspired by the Spirit of God. But he gives us just enough information here to know a little something about this group of church leaders. And so what do we know? Well, right off the bat, we know that they were diverse. This was a very diverse group of church leaders. Now, we already met Saul and Barnabas earlier in the book of Acts, right? Saul and Barnabas were from, uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus, that island in the Mediterranean off the coast of Palestine. And then uh, Saul was from Tarsus, right? But had been trained in Jerusalem. So you get these two guys that we've already met. But then we get Simeon and Lucius. And there's some speculation here. But uh, I'm, I think that probably they're both from North Africa, from the African coast of the Mediterranean. Um, one of them being from Cyrene, at least one of them being from Cyrene on the African coast. And then you've got Menaean. And this is a super interesting one. But Menaean... The word there in Greek is he's actually like, like, like nurtured, uh, uh, basically breastfed alongside uh, Herod the Tetrarch. That's Herod Antipas. Uh, that's the son of Herod the Great. That's the, that's the king that was over Galilee that was persecuting Christ during the, the moments leading up to his crucifixion. That Herod, this guy grew up with that guy. All right. So this is Menaean. All right. And he probably had a very privileged upbringing. 
Um, so anyway, very interesting. These diverse men who now, regardless of their diverse backgrounds, where they were born, whether they're privileged or not, all these different things, they are all now in Christ at Antioch in this church, and they were engaged in the standing orders given by Christ himself to make disciples by baptizing them, but also by teaching them to obey everything Christ had commanded. And, and it's in this context of faithful obedience to Christ that we see the Spirit giving what I would call special orders to certain individuals for the continuation of Christian mission onto the ends of the earth. But really, it's important to understand how this works, okay? Here's what I mean. Christians receive special orders through the church. Now let that sink in, because that's one of those statements that you can probably just blow right past and go, of course, the Spirit speaks to the church about these special orders. But what do we do? And if you're from, you know, if you grew up in a, a Western American context like I did, I immediately think in terms of special orders or standing orders or any sort of task or, or endeavor, I think individually, right? Individualistically. So I think, well, if, if the Spirit wants to give me special orders, the Spirit's just going to tell me in a dream or a vision or something, and then I'm going to go do it, right? But what is happening in the context of our passage? It's that Christians are receiving special orders, not apart from, but through the church, through the body of Christ gathered in that local church. And folks, this is a really important concept for us to grasp. Because again, we've been influenced by the American ideals of individualism and autonomy. But look at the corporate nature of these special orders in just these two verses in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set Barnabas and Saul apart for me for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted, prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, why was I emphasizing the they's and the them's there? We don't know exactly who the they is referring to, but in some sense, it's a corporate they, okay? This is a plural. Now, it could be the whole church, including those church leaders that we just talked about, or it could just be those church leaders on behalf of the church. But either way, it's somebody, it's a group of somebodies separate than Barnabas and Saul themselves, okay? Uh, but either way, whether it's the whole church with the leaders or just the leaders, what we see is a three-part process for the giving and receiving of special orders, what I'm calling special orders here. And we see this three-part process in seeking, speaking, and sending. I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't use some, uh, some uh, uh, alliteration. That's the word I'm looking for. I, I guess I'm not a good preacher. I don't even know what alliteration is. Um, so we've got three S words, seeking, speaking, and sending. So in verse 2, these Christians, again, whether it's the whole church or just the leadership, they are seeking the Lord. Just look at the context. Look at verse 2. They never stopped worshiping and serving the Lord in obedience to his standing orders to make disciples. That serving the Lord, that ministering to the Lord, that can take on a couple different shades of meaning, but basically they're involved in corporate worship and probably inclusive of that is corporate prayer. So they're worshiping the Lord they're, they're being obedient to the Lord and what he has them doing, and they're prayerful. 
they never stopped uh, obeying those standing orders to make disciples. They didn't put that hole and go, I'm kind of tired of these standing orders to make disciples here at Antioch. I want something new and fresh and exciting. So I'm going to stop doing that, and then I'm just going to you know, go over here and not do anything for a while and ask what God would have me do. They continued doing the standing orders. That's really important for you to understand, okay? And so they were also preparing their hearts in the midst of being obedient to those standing orders. They're preparing their hearts for more as they fasted to demonstrate their dependence on the Lord. I know fasting seems so weird to us in our culture because everything that's screaming at us all the time says consume, 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 right? Don't, don't ever give yourself a break on consumption. You've got to keep consuming. But the idea of fasting from food, and you see this in the ministry of Jesus and others and people all throughout the history of the church, it's the idea of recognizing or acknowledging our dependence upon the Lord, right? It's just what Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the Father, okay? So what is he saying there? He's saying that we need to set aside time to recognize and acknowledge our absolute dependence upon God, that, there, that we have no control over anything ultimately, even ourselves, that we are super fragile, so much more than we want to admit, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, every other way, we're vulnerable, and we need God for protection, for strength, for empowerment. That's what fasting is all about, right? They're fasting, and why are they fasting? They're preparing their hearts for what the Lord would have for them by recognizing and acknowledging their dependence upon the Lord their, their obedience and humility led to more ministry opportunities, okay? And then in the rest of verse 2, in the second half of 2, the Lord begins speaking through the Spirit. Christ our Lord is speaking to them through the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of our Lord, the Holy Spirit, okay? And his special orders were for two individuals in particular, Barnabas and Saul. But the Spirit gives those special orders to who? He gives them to the church so that the church would send these two missionaries on behalf of everyone else in Antioch. This is not just a Paul and Bar- or Saul. He'll become Paul. But this is not just a Barnabas and Saul thing. These were given to the church. And yes, they specified these two individuals. But why was it given to the church? So that the church could send them as a corporate act of sending and therefore participate in that mission as senders. Okay. That's why. One of the reasons. And then in verse 3, the church responds by sending. But first, they didn't just immediately go, all right, we got, we got our special orders. We're sending Barnabas and Saul. What do they do? I love this. That he even includes this in here. They, they, first, they fasted more and they prayed more. <laughs> Probably to further demonstrate their, their dependence upon the Lord because who are they sending out to go to some far-flung place? They're two rock star pastors. These were the guys that had gotten there from the get-go and taught them for a year. And th- these were the prophets and teachers that were there ministering to this church. And they're about to send their very best, their A-team, away from this young, burgeoning church that needs a lot of help and equipping and teaching and instruction. And they're about to send the very people that would provide that to some far-flung place on some, some mission. And so they prayed more and they fasted more. And maybe they were seeking some more details, too. But all that to say, they prayed and they fasted, and then, then, only then, they laid hands on these two missionaries to associate themselves with the mission that they were sending them on and to convey the blessing of the church 
in accomplishing that mission. That's another thing we don't, it seems odd, laying on of hands. Like, what is that, right? Happens in the context of healing, happens in the context in Acts of people receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, we do it here. We pray for people, and people come up here and put their hands on their shoulders and such. Why are they doing it in this passage? It's to associate their mission as a mission coming out of and from the church at Antioch and the church global represented by the church at Antioch. And therefore, they're participating. They're sending their blessing, right? So to summarize these last two verses, even though the Spirit gave special orders to two individuals in the church, he issues those orders in the context of corporate worship, corporate prayer, corporate fasting, and then those missionaries are ultimately sent out with the blessing of the church and on behalf of the church as a whole. And you know, there have been a few times in my life when I have felt like, like I've received special orders. And in some of those situations, like we've received special orders once I was married and united with Stacy. But there's been several times, and in each of those cases, we had brothers and sisters in Christ in our local church who were praying with me, with us, praying for me, praying for us. And that was part of the beauty of those, those moments in our lives where we were really like seeking the Lord and trying to figure out what are your special orders for us. And before I got married, and actually the, the, the consideration of marriage, having these men in my small group coming alongside to pray with me, to pray for me, as God was making these moves in our lives. And that was such a blessing. But uh, back in 2005, I'll give you two examples. Back in 2005, I had just become a Christian in 2004, and... Um, I had this, the, one of the first things I did, aside from teach fifth grade boys Sunday school, which is amazing, I continued in my faith after that experience, but uh, I think we have some fifth graders in here, you probably understand that, um, but I taught fifth grade boys Sunday school, and I had a, a men's small group, a bunch of single 20-something year old guys in a, in a men's group with me, and they prayed with me and for me for nine months, and all of us were trying to figure out life and direction and next steps and should I go back to school? Should I get out of this career and go to that career? Should, is, is she the one? You know, is, is all these things. But one of the things I was wrestling with, do I need to switch careers? Do I need to leave my job in sales and apply to seminary and get into full-time vocational ministry? And they were praying for nine months until I received the go-ahead from God to quit my sales job and apply to seminary. And then it wasn't just some individual thing. They had taken part in that with me. So I got to go back after that late night in December 27th, 2005, I got to go back to my men's group and say, guys, God's answered the prayer. Thank you. And then they got to support me in the, the whole transition that went after that. But then, then in, in 2013 and 2014, Stacy and I were married and we had two little, little bitty kids. And later on, we added a third in 2014, much later. But lot, lots of folks were praying for, for us as we were considering whether Christ wanted us to move back from Fort Worth to Austin to plant a church. Uh, two, a year and a half of inviting our small group in, inviting the leaders from our church in, asking my boss, who I was working at the church at the time, to be praying and asking for wisdom and direction and guidance from the Holy Spirit, right? And we did this for like two years, and all these people were praying for us, and then we finally got our special orders, and it was like this corporate celebration because everyone's been praying about it. And so they got to send us with blessing and got to take part in what we were doing and coming down to Austin. And it was really a beautiful thing. But listen, I don't want you to hear my examples and just think special orders in the Christian life are just all about 
uh, quitting your secular job and going to seminary and getting a full-time vocational ministry job, whether it's a church or a parachurch. That's not it. Special orders from Christ are not restricted to that. So please don't let me set up some dichotomy, a false dichotomy between the secular and the sacred. Right? This applies to every major decision and some of the ones you don't think are major in your lives. And I've had the privilege in my pastoral roles to come alongside people and pray for people as you've considered whether these are the special orders that Christ is calling you to as an individual or as a married couple or as an individual family or as a group of individuals. And so uh, we've prayed for you as you've considered moving to new homes or new neighborhoods. And, and I think immediately, I was trying to think of who, I don't know if anybody in here hasn't moved to a new home or neighborhood since you've been at Wayside, but I think about the Hamiltons when y'all were moving from uh, River Place. That's the name of it, right? Over into the, the neighborhood, closer to school and the church. The Cartwrights, who aren't here today, they're moved to, to uh, Cedar Park. The Cervix, man, we prayed a lot for you guys. Where are y'all? Uh, yes, there you are. And they ended up in, like, this miraculous thing happened. They ended up where they are now, sharing a, a, a fence with the Courtney's. Um, we prayed for the Iwins, the LaRocas, the Bargos, the Browns, the Busuegos, the Eckerlings, the uh, Harris's, Dahlia. She's doing a move right now that we've been praying for. Shelby, the McLaughlins. Remember, y'all were over on Oak Knoll and you ended up over closer to Balcones. Uh, and my brother and his family, right? We were praying with them on the decision to come down from Philadelphia and live with my dad. So it's been a privilege. But these are the consideration of special orders from Christ. This is not just some secular decision that's being made in your life. And so it's something we can invite people in. Uh, I've prayed with you when you've considered job changes or even career changes. I think of Manny, uh, you know, uh, working where he works now, going back to school. Um, Nikki, changing, Stephen, uh, my brother Andrew, Lauren, Cartwright, Aaron, Eckerling, Mike, Tara, Andy, Shelby, Mark, Elena, Martin, Chris, Hannah, Kevin, Brian, Lindsay, Abby, Ashley. A lot of you have had to make these decisions on should I stay with this job or should I switch to this career or these different things. And we've gotten to pray together corporately for those things. We've prayed as you've considered going back to school. I prayed a lot with Elias going back for his MBA, with Manny going back to grad school. And this week, this month, we're celebrating Amanda, who's not here today. Thank goodness she and Kevin are having a great time. And Tara right? We're, we're celebrating y'all wrapping up your coursework and these major decisions to go back to school and get more education for different things. We've prayed as you've considered expanding your families, whether by having more babies, birthing more babies, or just opening your hearts to the possibility of adoption or foster care. We've gotten to pray with a lot of people here at Wayside through that. And this is, this is a small church, okay? Like, there's a lot of special orders being given, and it's something that we can take part in as a church family, and I think it's beautiful. And there's a whole bunch more examples, but I just want to say it's important to realize that all of these decisions and all of these directions were special orders for certain individuals in our church. And every time we received these special orders, it was usually in the context of faithfully seeking the Lord and inviting others in our local church family to faithfully seek the Lord with us. And I think just like every other church, Wayside has standing orders that affect all of us. Guys, if you're wrestling with purpose and you're a member of our church, can I just be really clear? The Great Commission is our standing orders. And if you're not involved at some level, right, you're not doing it all yourself, but at some level in the encouraging, equipping, teaching, supporting, uh, embracing and encouraging church fellowship in these different ways, sharing spiritually, materially, 
then you're going to wrestle with purpose because you're not obeying the standing orders that Christ has given us. And that's true of me as much as any of you, any of us, right? So we do have special orders, or I'm sorry, standing orders that are general for everybody. We must all be engaged in the work of making disciples. Uh, And then as we faithfully obey those standing orders, that's going to open up, that obedience and humility is going to open up an opportunity for each of us to also receive special orders at times, just like Barnabas and Saul did. Guys, we can't skip over the standing orders and, and just want something spicy, to use Manny's announcement term. Something spicy in the way of special orders, right? Yeah, we're just going to have to lean into the 20 centuries long process of making disciples at some level, in some way, and we all need to be involved in that. And then that's going to open up, just like it did for Barnabas and Saul, it's going to open up these opportunities for even special orders for certain individuals. And sometimes that's going to lead us into foreign missions. I hope and pray to God it does lead some of us into foreign missions. And that's short-term missions. It's long-term missions. But at other times, the Lord is simply going to send us to a particular person, a particular group of people, or a particular place, or he's going to place us in particular situations or circumstances so that we can be salt and light wherever we, wherever we end up, so that we can be his ambassadors, heralding the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we end up, whether it's foreign or domestic or right down the street or across the street or in our own homes. That's what we're called to. And so as we consider what the Spirit might be setting us apart for, we have to keep a couple things Uh, in perspective. We have to keep a couple things in mind from today's passage. And first of all, I just want to say this. The Spirit spoke to a group of Christians who were already obediently engaged in making disciples and who were dependently seeking the Lord's direction through prayer and fasting. As one one, one of my goals for our church is that we would be known as a church that prays and fasts, that seeks the Lord passionately, vigorously, dependently, humble-heartedly in prayer and fasting. And again, that's going to take development. That's part of that making mature disciples who obey the commands of the Lord, right? But our lives should look like the lives of Jesus and, and Paul. And I know we go, what are you talking about? They're like superheroes, right? No, if we're going to be Christ followers, we need to live like Christ. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of people like Paul, we need to live as, Christ, as, as Paul lived. And that's going to include prayer and fasting, individually and corporately. So, the Spirit spoke to a group of Christians who are preparing their hearts in that way. And this is the last thing I want to say. Even through, or I'm sorry, even though the Spirit wanted just two individuals from this church in Antioch, he sent his call through the church as a whole so that others would acknowledge this calling, would acknowledge these special orders for Barnabas and Saul, and would send them out on behalf of everyone else with the blessing and support of the whole church. It's something they could be engaged in corporately as a church family. So I want to close with a quote from uh, Dr. Daryl Bach. He wraps up his commentary notes on this passage we're looking at today, and this is what he writes about Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Dr. Bach says this, he says, Often God directs in ways that are spiritual and mysterious. In this case, talking about our passage, the community, sensing God's clear direction, put its weight behind an outreach far beyond its own walls. 
God loves churches that look beyond their own needs. We build churches, he goes on to say, not just to go in for worship, but also to go out with God's heart for people. We build churches not just to go in for worship, but also to go out with God's heart for people. I love that. Next week, we're going to look at the first leg of this first official missionary journey. And, uh, and Barnabas and Saul are going to head back to Barnabas's, you know, place of origin, Cyprus. And we're going to look at that trip to Cyprus uh, with Saul and Barnabas. And John Mark is going to tag along, too. So we'll look at that next week.